uh, war, right? As we get to the end of this chapter, he's he's letting him know that this in, this information is to help him in his spiritual warfare. And before you go to war, you got to know Jesus is Lord. So we saw last time we got together that when training ministry, uh, training in ministry involves training influential ministers, um, and our relationship with the Lord is first and foremost our relationship to the law, that motivated. Um, is motivation to receive Jesus Christ and then our relationship to the lost is the illumination to share Jesus Christ so salvation, motivation, illumination is what we found in the first ten verses and uh, we had a thesis along with each so I'm just reviewing where we've been Um, the first one was uh, our relationship the Lord provides authority uh, we saw that one one is not fit to be in authority unless they're under authority. It produces authenticity. We saw unfeigned faith produces undeniable fruit. <laughs> and it protects us from the adversity. And we saw that biblical fellowship keeps us from being shipwrecked. <coughs> and so... Um, tonight we see that uh, in our relationship with the lost... Uh, we're to be. We're going to see. We're going to be uh, that we're to be fruitful, to be soul winners. We're to be faithful warriors of God's word, which I've alluded to, and we give fearful warnings to the willing, willingly shipwrecked. So, when your outline there, the first point is we are to be fruitful soul winners, uh, and you see that in verses eleven through seventeen. <coughs> the law should see the fruit of a changed life, and you see, and we see in verses eleven and twelve that Paul is talking about his testimony. <coughs> He says, according to the glorious gospel, which glory deals with the, you know, obviously the radiance and the illumination of Christ, the the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. So, and there is a uh, conjunction uh, that ties us to the previous discussion of the glorious gospel in verse 11. And then the lost need to be see the attitude of gratitude. Paul is super thankful uh, for his ability to be in Christ. So ministry is a privilege. It is not a right. Um, and so to, you know, uh, so we often... Uh, sometimes we think ministry is like a like a hassle or a burden, and there's obviously a weight to ministry, but it's actually an op- it's a it's a privilege. And if it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't even have the right to serve. So it's a great privilege. We should all be clamoring to serve Jesus. And so uh, it's not an obstacle to be seized, but or it's not it's an opportunity to be seized, not an obstacle to avoid. Right. So sometimes people want to avoid ministry, but it's not an obstacle. Uh, to avoid it's an opportunity to be seized and so in eternity this is the only time that we're going to have to choose right because once we get uh, our glorified bodies all our sin nature is going to be completely gone we won't carry around this carcass with us but um this is the only time in Scripture that Paul mentions being thankful uh, to Christ Jesus our Lord. Typically, he says he's thankful to my God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a unique little phrase right here. Uh, at at uh, Bible studies on Wednesday night uh, a few weeks ago, we discussed the difference between the title of uh, Christ Jesus and Jesus Christ. But what's the difference between that? Christ Jesus and Jesus Christ. Ding, 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 ding. Right, exactly. The title of, right, the title of Jesus Christ emphasizes the deity of Christ, 
And the title of Jesus Christ emphasizes the humanity of Christ. So it's, where, it's exactly what Ron says. It's one that emphasizes... Uh, so Christ Jesus is the Messiah. Um, uh, and it emphasizes his deity. Jesus Christ emphasizes humanity. So Paul is stressing here the de- deity of our Lord Jesus Christ in this passage as he did in the introduction because it was imperative that Jesus not be considered a God with a small g among many uh, by the way, right? Uh, <clears throat> but, but I'm sorry, but the way, the truth, and the life. So the lost world needs to understand that Jesus is the only way to salvation. He's not, he's not a way to salvation. He's the way to salvation. And, you know, in America, we don't think much. Well, we used to not think much about that. But today, you, there's a lot more. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Polytheism and paganism, right? So the concept is, especially uh, the the concept of the multiverse and all of that stuff that's real popular right now. Um, is And one of the reasons that's a popular thing that's coming on is because scientists have discovered that there is a creator. Right, and so Romans one makes it very clear that you have a choice. Once you discover there's a Creator, what do you got to do? You, right, you worship Him or you choose not to. And we know that there's a lot of people in the scientific community that are going are choosing not to worship God. So they're coming up with um, rationales for how we could have design without God. They're working around the Creator. They're instead of worshiping the Creator, they worship the creation. And they're saying, well, you know, there's a multiverse or there's multiple life forms out there or we've been created by some divine design that's not God, right? Because we don't believe in God. So aliens programmed our DNA, some advanced life force. And, of course, uh, they came from the multiverse and there's multi-dimensions, blah, blah, blah. And there's just all these concepts that basically are they're ancient. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. These are the things that... Uh, uh, philosophers like Plato were contemplating uh, many centuries ago, so none of this is new. Um, <clears throat> but at the end of the day, it, it all gets around the one true Creator God and the universe, right? The one God, the one universe, and the fact that He created us, which does leave you to wonder: in a universe as vast as the, as that we are in, which is immense, mathematically immense, it seems uh, a mathematical impossibility. Uh, or a huge improbability, to put it mildly, that there would only be us as life form, right? Uh, and so, and so the the fact that there is only us as a life form right now um, is is shows us the importance of where we are in time. It's a it's a big yellow highlighter on God's dealing with sin in time, and that's of course what He's doing. Now I know that's not laying on the text here when we talk about this, but <clears throat> when Paul's talking and emphasizing Jesus Christ, or in this case Christ Jesus, uh, he's he's emphasizing there's one Messiah, there's one God among a pantheon of that you know in Europe. So that the the concept that there were multiple gods, as you guys know, um, it was not new, but it was really it was real to him in the first century. I mean, paganism has been a real thing for many centuries and so um, it's just wild in my lifetime to see in American culture things shift so rapidly I mean even 20 years ago that most people believed in a God the God or no God you know but now yeah you can take your Jesus you can add your Buddha you can you know I mean it's just uh, or you can come up with some other construct that's not even you know that's some new thing at least supposedly new Um, and you can be just like the old pagans of Rome and have a pantheon of gods and you know it's crazy and 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 people take that seriously 
because they do now understand that uh, you know that there is some sort of some sort of advanced intelligence, as they would call it, that's created us. But certainly, it couldn't be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It couldn't be the man Christ Jesus, right? Because well, then you'd have to bow your knee and confess with your mouth that He is Lord. <laughs> And you'd have to admit that those crazy Christians would have been right all along. I mean, nobody's going to do that. But the lost need to see, point three, the evidence, right? They need to see the evidence of Christ's power. So <coughs> if they're not going to acknowledge it in the DNA strand, and they're not going to acknowledge it in the universe, you know, as they look through an electron microscope, or if they're not going to take what the Hubble telescope tells them as gospel, uh, which, by the way, all those things point to Christ, uh, then, well, I guess they're going to have to settle to see it through us. So point A, Christ Jesus, our Lord, enables me, right? That's what Paul's saying. He enables me. That's the kind of power that is in us, the power of Christ. The, the word enabled is translated strong four times in the New Testament, and we understand from Acts 9.22 that Paul was enabled to minister relatively quickly because he was a unique vessel. Look over in Acts. I didn't put that on your notes, I don't think, did I? Look, Open your Bible there and look at Acts 9.22. Um, somebody want to read that? Acts 9.22. All right, so we're not out of chapter 9, and we don't even have Paul's name changed. I mean, he's not even, he's Paul, obviously, but here he's called Saul of Tarsus, is who we're referencing. <clears throat> and uh, he's already confounding, um, he's confounded the Jews that dwelt in Damascus, the, the location of his salvation, or just, you know, obviously on the road to Damascus. So it, notice it says there was Paul, or as Paul. Sorry, Ron, your name has been changed. No, Ron read. Um, uh, as Ron read, uh, uh, Saul increased the more in strength. Right? He got stronger. Um, and uh, and we're not talking about... He did have to get physically stronger, right? Because he was blind. And uh, he ended up escaping out of a basket out of the, through the city wall to get out of there because they were trying to kill him. So he did physically need to get stronger. But he also was spiritually getting stronger. Right, his strength, and that strength confounded the Jews, which dwelt of which he was a leader. By the way, that dwelt Damascus. So this is a relatively fast turnaround, and uh, and we may not uh, be Paul, right, or Saul in this case before he was called Paul, but God gives us His Spirit. Uh, not the spirit of Paul, but the spirit of Christ. And we're free to start sharing what we know about Christ the moment you get saved. And I can tell you guys from experience, not not that I had a Damascus Road salvation, but I did have a pretty radical alteration the day I got saved. And it didn't take me 30 minutes maybe <coughs> before I was actually actively telling, trying, attempting to say goo goo gaga and try to tell the gospel in my, and I didn't know how to articulate the gospel, but at least I was trying uh, almost immediately upon salvation, trying to communicate something has changed. Uh, it's like that movie, The Matrix, you know, they pop off the cords and you're flushed out the, the uh, amniotic to- toilet and then boom, there you are, you know, and uh, you don't know how to say, you don't know how to say anything. I don't know what happened, but, uh, but this is, I'm different. 
and uh, Jesus Christ is Lord, you know. And uh, and so you begin to tell others what a change Christ has brought to your heart. Now, not everybody has the same salvation experience, and everybody does that. Uh, uh, but I know it, it, it doesn't have to take long when you're born again <laughs> to gather the strength to start sharing the gospel, the glorious gospel of Christ. I, mean, I, I guarantee this. If you start trying, God will empower it because it's his will. And so point uh, B there, Christ Jesus our Lord uh, counted, he says, me faithful. So Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus our Lord enables me and Christ Jesus our Lord counted me faithful. The first mention of the word counted in Scripture is found in Genesis 15:6, when God counted Abraham righteous. Uh, in Romans, look over at Romans chapter 4 and verse 3. Romans 4:3. Somebody want to read that? Romans 4:3. If I turn there before you do, I'm reading it. So, oh come on, sword drill. All right, I got it. Romans 4:3. What saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him. For what? Righteousness, right? It was imputed unto him. It was counted unto him. Uh, and second, notice the same word. If you go to Second Corinthians, uh, chapter five, and verse nineteen, I have the, I have those in your outline, don't I? Those references. Yeah. So Second Corinthians five nineteen. Somebody want to grab that? Unto Amen, amen. So here we see that he he was not imputing, right? He was not counting their trespasses unto them. And he's committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So that word imputing is the same word we use for, for counting, right? Uh, and so, uh, you know, God was reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses. So, isn't that awesome? So, you think about Saul's testimony. It's the same as our testimony. Um, uh, we, 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 have, we have been uh, counted... Uh, as faithful, right? God's faithfulness is imputed to us. We're counted uh, faithful, and we're not counted um, for our sins because our sins were were counted against Christ, right? They were imputed unto Christ instead of unto us, and that's why He's able to not impute our trespasses unto us because Jesus Christ has taken that wrath upon Him. If that's the case, uh, if Jesus has taken His our wrath upon Him, right, and our sin is imputed to Him, then why would anyone be condemned to hell? This is one of the HBI questions. Think about that. If Jesus died on the cross, which he did, and he died for the world, which he did, and the sins of the whole world... Now, what would a Calvinist tell you? Well, it's a limited atonement. That's how they get around that, that kind of thought frame. But but it, because we know that's there's no such thing as limited atonement. He died for the sins of the whole world. And if his sin, if his sacrifice is sufficient to save everyone, and it is then why would anyone go to hell? Because they choose to. Bingo. They choose to reject the only sacrifice that God demands for righteousness. Because Jesus Christ... This is very clear in the Bible. This isn't like some... You don't have to get a degree in theology to figure this out. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. If a person dies and goes to hell, it's because they have rejected the sufficient sacrifice, which is not the law, uh, it is not that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross wasn't adequate. It was that they, God gives us the will, the freedom, to choose to, to receive the sacrifice that has been given for our sin uh, or reject it. 
and people that reject Christ, they, the reason that they die and go to hell is because they reject their Savior, the only person who could save them. The law can't save them either, right? Jesus kept the law because we couldn't. And so so it's uh, <coughs> his righteousness is imputed to us when we receive his sacrifice for sin. you got to acknowledge that he is and a rewarder than the diligently seek him. That seems exceedingly simple to me. It doesn't, it's not that complicated or confound. But you will find a Calvinist going into a four-while loop until Jesus comes back, oftentimes uh, trying to get around that. And, and it seems like an assault on God's power and sovereignty, and it's not. And I throw that out there because there's so much Calvinism out there today. Um, that is really uh, is just it's, it's a little destructive. One of the reasons you have to have free will is because of the doctrine of love, which, by the way, is noticeably absent. You can talk about sovereign grace all day long, uh, and uh, I do believe God's sovereign, and I do believe there's He's full of grace. But at the end of the day, uh, the sovereign God created man with a capacity to choose because we're created in His likeness and image, and so that's why the first thing out of the, the gate in Genesis chapter two is a decision. Right, and God gave that entrusted that to man. That's as simple as a Sunday school lesson you can teach ten year olds in, in a Sunday school class. But it's amazing how complicated it gets. And so the word, the the concept of of uh, Jesus uh, of our sin being imputed to us, um, it's not as complicated as some would have you to believe. The word impute is the same word used for counted in verse twelve. God has counted me faithful in the person of Jesus Christ because I have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not our righteousness but his righteousness is imputed to us and so that's also a big part of the the substitutionary atonement that that uh, is attributed to us through the lord jesus christ i think that makes sense in this group but i mentioned it i know we got some younger people in the crowd i don't know if you're picking that up but uh, i know that you can get bombarded with some of those things and it's important to kind of have your mind screwed on straight uh, in today's world so christ jesus our lord uh, he says put me into the ministry right christ jesus our lord so he in enables me he counted me faithful in christ jesus our lord uh, put me in to the ministry so there's a difference between being called and put into the ministry even paul was not put into the ministry officially until acts chapter 13 and so it took timothy 10 years before he was ready to fulfill his call so there's a time of preparation and your call may be instant so we're talking about making disciples your call may be instant at salvation but it takes time for god to put you in play uh, and it may take some uh, more time. So this morning I was talking and I was referencing First Corinthians chapter three and Paul and Apollos and you know we talk about that process for growing a church. You know, uh, I, I watered, Apollos uh, or I planted, Apollos watered. God gives the increase. Great template, right? Great work for teamwork and all that. And everybody has their part in the body. First Corinthians twelve. Um, when you look at it from that aspect. But conversely, like I said this morning, not everybody was ministering at the at the optimum um, capacity that God had saved them to. And really, that's what Paul was calling them out on. He's like, you know, some of you are carnal. You're babes in Christ. And you shouldn't be, right? I mean, he's, he, he does call people out in the New Testament. And he says, look, you should put away childish things and you should grow up. So a maturation is a priority in the character of a Christian. And if we don't, we won't have, as I said this morning, we're not going to have the capacity to accomplish the mission. And that's why we're hurting as a, in a culture. So if we look at the problem in the world and we want to, we can, as Christians, take a little bit or all of that on our own shoulders and say perhaps we have failed in the maturation process of Christians. Maybe we haven't taken following Jesus seriously enough and the result is 
is that we haven't been salt and we haven't been light and uh, and we are not really making very much impact in the cultures in which we live and so uh, so it's one thing to be called it's another thing to be put there's a proving process uh, that puts you into the ministry and so um, there is a time of preparation so be patient and learn the lessons that God has for you it took the Lord Jesus Christ three and a half years to work with his disciples and uh, I doubt that if someone gets saved today that you know uh, we can expect much less that they're going to be tearing the world up for Jesus in less than three and a half years that's a pretty rapid discipleship process with the Lord himself and so uh, we need to be patient and willing to go through our paces and be discipled. Uh, now, not that God, God won't use you and won't use you in a, uh, in a pretty substantial way, but the preparation is important, too. I, I think about a lot of times what happens in our pop Christianity world uh, with music, right? So music is not necessarily doctrine. Um, I mean, it's supposed to be psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in the church, but Nashville's got a hold of that thing. And so you take some young college-age person who's got a gifting in music, and you, what do you... you you, ba- you bypass all the grounding. You bypass the local New Testament church, and immediately you thrust them to this, you know, mountain peak of attention, right? And then we wonder why is it that they bomb out after about five years, you know, uh, or they they got some sin issues they can't deal with because they never were grounded. They were never trained in the local New Testament church context, oftentimes to deal with this, you know. And is this even what God's calling them to do? And so. There's a guy at Midtown. Um, <laughs> he's one of their counselors down there. He did. He loved the rock and roll dream uh, with the uh, I forget what you know band, but he was in the you know one of those things, and uh, it was a mess. Um, Mason down in uh, down in Iola, same thing. He was with one of those uh, bands that was was big in the nation, and uh, and it was a lot of carnality there. Why? Because you got a bunch of kids that were not grounded, right? And they really weren't even working out a local church. Nobody was making disciples. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying everybody that um, is, you know, <laughs> that tries to do that is wrong or bad. <clears throat> That's not what I'm saying. My point is, is that we to bear the weight of ministry, there has to be some pe- preparation and grounding, and some some discipleship, and that doesn't happen outside of the local New Testament church context. And the local New Testament church is the the pillar and ground of the truth. I mean, God has given us the the capacity and the mission uh, to do that. And uh, without that, we're not helping people. We're hurting them. And so the Lord is the one who puts us into the ministry. When I got saved at 16 years old, um, when I was really about 17, I turned to just a, a few weeks after I got saved, I turned 17. Uh, it was seven years before I preached in a church, right? So, and I'm a little slower than the average bear, right? So you got double, you got to double it with me. Um, and it was 15 years before I pastored a church. So I got saved. It was seven years before I preached in a church. It was 15 years before I pastored a church. And uh, you know what's interesting is I really thought that I was the I was the slow kid on the block because there were others that went ahead of me. There were times when I felt like, man, I, I'm in I'm the in the the LD class, you know. But God has a way of getting us where we need to go right on time. In retrospect, it's not a problem at all. But at the time, I saw some of my peers look like they were jetting by me, you know, on their motorbikes, and I'm still sitting there pedaling on my little tricycle or something. I'm like, man, look at those guys go. But uh, it's not. We can't compare ourselves with ourselves. It's unwise. The main thing is let God do the preparation in your life at the pace in which he wants to get it because you don't know the weight that he wants to put on you later and that's the wisdom of being older now I look back on all of that and God has a plan for all of that so the law uh, the lost need to see the evidence of Christ's power over our sinful flesh 
the lost need to see this point forward. The lost need to see the evidence of our of Christ's power over our sinful flesh. In verse thirteen, the Bible says back in Timothy. Um, let me get back to that. Uh, in verse thirteen, number of rebellion. It says, "Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious? But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief." And so the lost need to see the evidence of Christ's power over our sinful flesh. Isn't it interesting how when he wants to talk about being a blasphemer, the Holy Ghost is preserved that in the 13th verse, number of rebellion. Uh, but he says, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was injurious. Um, uh, and so in Acts 26, just flip over, keep your finger here, and let's go look at, at what his testimony was in Acts 26. As Paul, he's recording in Acts 26 his testimony. Um, in verse 8 before Agrippa this was a really riveting testimony but as riveting as it was King Agrippa wasn't going to receive it but it's it, God used it in our life it says why should it be thought a, a, a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead I verily thought with, it, with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth which thing also uh which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. Uh, and let me pause there at that semicolon. I presume that when Paul had the saints shut up in prison, first of all, he didn't call them saints at that time. He called them blasphemers. Uh, second of all, I'm, I'm sure he didn't say, hey, make sure you take it easy. You know those, hey, can you get some of those, uh, you know, pillow padded handcuffs to put them in you know can you put them in a cell with a nice you know uh down pillow and a, and some and some good uh, food and water of course not i mean he was hard on he was injurious to these people he hated them because he hated christ and he hated that way the bible says and so uh, he goes on to say uh <clears throat> with that authority from the chief priests uh and when when uh, and when verse uh, 10 he says and when they were put to death I gave my voice against them. So not only did he apprehend them, but he had them executed. And he was the one using the law uh, to do that. He felt justified in the law to have them executed. In verse 11, he says, And I punished them oft, right, in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. I mean, he was he was a bad man. As far as uh, you don't want this guy uh, on your trail. I mean, he was he was after you, and if you were a Christian, uh, he was going to make you wish you hadn't been a Christian. And these are his own relatives, right? These are his own countrymen. These are his own uh, Jewish neighbors that had the audacity and the gall to believe that Jesus Christ. Has, was risen from the dead, and that Jesus Christ was alive, and that Jesus Christ was the Jewish Messiah. If he caught you believing that, he believed it was so passionately that, that he says, you know what, um, he's calling them a blasphemer, he's persecuting them, and he's, injure, and he's injure, injuring them. But in reality, he's a blasphemer. And, Paul's, and God ends up meeting him on the road to Damascus. And what's he saying? He says, hey, Paul, why are you kicking against the pricks, man? What, why are you pushing back against me? You know, uh, And he tells him in Acts, when he sees him on the road to Damascus, that you're persecuting me. right? Every time you're persecuting them, you're persecuting me. 
And that's why, the, the, by the way, beloved, when a country like Myanmar is persecuting Bible-believing Christians, as they are right now as we speak, they are going after them full bore. Um, you know what? They're going after Christ, right? In China, right now, they're going after Christ. And it may not be long. If we keep going down this Marxist road, they may be coming after us. And so, um, but the good news is, Jesus Christ has already won. So our sin is not imputed because Jesus petitioned that it would not be imputed. Uh, in, in Luke twenty three thirty four, Jesus Christ was invoking Leviticus 19 and verse 18. And, uh, and he was not wanting... Uh, our sins to be imputed to us. And so let me look quickly look at that. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. I'm going to read that because we're winding this down here for tonight. Uh, Luke 23, 34. Jesus says, um, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. So in Leviticus 19, I'm just going to go back and read that. Go back to the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18. The Bible says here, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So you see that Jesus invoking really the great commandment found all the way back in Leviticus 19 and 8, verse 18, when he said, Forgive them, for I know not for they know not what they do. And so um, the lost need to see the grace of Christ Jesus in our lives. In verse 14 of 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which was in Christ, which is in, not was, but is currently in Christ Jesus. I had a cool interaction day as somebody left the, the building. I had several really cool interactions today, by the way. Pretty encouraging. If I wasn't so dog-tired, I'd probably be more excited about it. But uh, the uh, on the way out the door, um, I was talking to this young man who's just gotten baptized, gotten saved and baptized a few weeks ago. And uh, on the way out the door, he's like, you know, uh, he, I, I was going over a discipleship booklet. He's praying about discipleship and getting involved in that. And um, His life's out of order right now, and so pray for him. He's actually praying that he can keep his commitments. And uh, he's lived a life that's uh, you know, allowed him not to keep any commitments. And so now he's trying to put order back in his own life. And um, at any rate, on the way out the door in the foyer here, he says, he goes, I just... I see that when I come here, he goes, I don't, I don't want to be around people. He goes, I'm, I don't even, you know, this scares me to come here because of all the people. Um, but he goes, it's just the right place to be. I can feel it when I come in. He goes, and the joy that you all have is the joy I want to have. I mean, if I could write a statement that I could want to like repeat, that would be something I would want to create. But I did not create that. He said it right out of his own lips. <clears throat> and it was just like, I was just listening to him. And I'm like, wow, that's that's none, that's none other than Jesus Christ. <laughs> right? That is the fruit of the Spirit. And when this guy comes into the church, uh, he's, he's lived in the world. right? He knows what the devil has to offer. And it ain't what's going on at Heartland Baptist Fellowship. You know, uh, and so uh, when he comes in this place, he's like, wow, there's light, right? There's life. He may not phrase it that way, but that's what he's saying. Now, he's saved, but he's a young Christian. He's a baby Christian. And so what does he need? He needs the grace, right? He needs God's grace, and we need that grace in our lives so people like him can see it. 
right, and get a hold of it and say, man, there's something more, there's something better. And so uh, all that starts off in verse 14, tying us back to the previous verses concerning the changed life resulting from the previous verse in verse 11. So look back in verse 11. Well, let's look at 14 once, one more. He says, and the, and, the, and the grace of our Lord Jesus was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Now go back to 11. According to the glorious gospel, the blessed of God, which was committed to my trust. Where does that exceeding abundant... Um, uh, uh, faith and love come from it comes from the glorious gospel right it's it's a fountain of life and so uh, it starts off in verse 14 and it ties us back to verse 11 and it speaks to the glorious gospel the exceeding abundant grace uh, with faith and love so God's grace is first mentioned in Genesis 6 and verse 8 that's the first mention of ace, of grace or ace of grace I should say when Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord so God's favor can be described as as God's riches at Christ's expense. That's either is that an acronym or an acrostic? I think that's a acrostic. So, but God's riches at Christ's expense, which is an accurate explanation of Christ Jesus, um, and it's the only reason we have favor with God. It's grace. So Paul uses two adjectives to describe God's amazing grace: exceeding and abundant. That's, that's two adjectives, right? I don't even know if that's proper in an English sentence. Sharon could tell us because she's much more astute in language. But exceeding abundant, which obviously is in, in, a, in, a, in a, a means of uh, emphasizing right, the word itself, which is grace. It's exceeding abundant uh, with faith and love. So the Greek word that, for these English words are derived, and they're derived formed, is, is uh, translated superabound. Superabound, you know? Uh, so it's a super and it's abounding. And so that's amazing. Amazing grace. So notice he says the grace of, of uh, our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul didn't have to, or didn't have the exceeding abundant amount of love to match his faith before he met Christ. Uh, before he met Christ, he was, ex- he was exactly what he said he was. A blaspheming, persecuting, injurious Pharisee. That's who he was. What was he missing? Well, he was missing the love, the grace of God, the love of God, to match his zeal and his knowledge. Right? Without knowledge, knowledge puffeth up. Charity edifies. He was missing the love that was necessary for him to uh, deal with the knowledge that he had. And so, um, and so we remember these two words: faith and love. They are found in Christ Jesus, and that means that if if uh, you are in Christ, they should be exceeding abundant in you. Right? So if you are actually a Christian, and you say, "I'm a Christian." Everybody in America says they're a Christian. Well, if you really are a Christian, then you should have two things that are exceeding and abundant in your life. Faith and love. Now, how many people do you know that say they're a Christian and are lacking faith and lacking love? I mean, I touched on it again this morning, uh, lightly. But uh, that's why we have to... Now, Jesus knew it would be like this. That's why we have the Lord's Supper. Because something that Jesus was not lacking was faith... (laughs) nor love, right? So before he demonstrated his love for the world and, and showed us that exceeding faith, he sat down with his disciples and said, hey guys, let me let me clue you in on something here. I am the bread of life, right? I am. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You know, eat, eat of me because I'm all you need. And of course, I am your Passover lamb. I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it. Right? He washed their feet. He sat down at the Lord's Supper. He partook of the Passover feast. He goes out and becomes the sacrifice for sin. He doesn't just he doesn't just partake of it from an Old Testament sense. He fulfills it and goes out and does it. 
And man, what an example of faith and love. So we got to put feet on our faith and feet on our love if we expect it to get any traction. So tonight, I would I would hope everyone here is saved, but I'll throw it out there just in case. If Are you saved? Maybe you can't love a brother because you're not a brother. I have wondered that in the past. We had some. I've had some folks here that probably were brothers, but man, I've, have you ever seen a brother or sister just have deep-rooted bitterness toward another brother or sister? I, right now, I don't know of that in our church body, um, but we have had that in our church body early on, especially. And uh, I couldn't put my head around it. I mean, I literally would have. I had. There was. A, I won't say names, um, but there was a brother that would, literally would not forgive. Um, a sister in our church and it wasn't because like you know she killed his mother or you know Bernard you know ran over his dog I mean it was nothing and it was nothing it wasn't even an offense toward him but he held a root of bitterness against his sister uh, because she she said something and did something that offended him and so it got to the point that I was actually involved in trying to confront it um, and this was discreetly. This person's no longer alive, so it's it's all water under the bridge. People aren't around anymore. But it was a great, it was a huge education for me because I just kind of like Mister, you know, Mister uh, Green behind the wet behind the ears, you know, young pastor dude, whirl in thinking, oh, this is easy, we'll fix this. Surely, there's a misunderstanding, right? Because you know, all conflicts are typically based in some unmet expectations, and with proper communication, you know, things can get worked out. Guess what? No, that's not the case at all. A proper communication and clear expectations, still not working it out. Well, what about the Lord's Supper? I mean, that's coming upon us, and it says, you know, if we have ought against a brother or a sister, right? So we need to get this reconciled. Did she know that? Yes. Made every attempt to get it right. To the point of sitting down before Lord's Supper trying to reconcile it over something that is so minor unbelievable so it causes a preacher to wonder after a while is that person saved and so i won't tell you i can't finish the story and tell you why i I believe he's saved um but um the point is simply this well i will tell you the reason i believe he's saved is i believe god spanked him and so, without getting into, if I say too many details, then it'll be bad. But, yeah, but I'll just leave it at that. The reason, the only reason I think that brother was saved is because it didn't just, it, because it was judged. And I wasn't the one who judged it. I never had to bring it before the church because God took care of it. And so, that's one of the, one of the reasons I take the Lord's Supper seriously. Um, not because I'm looking for God to come down and spank people. But it, I am really about God making sure the body is, there should be no room for aught in the body of Christ. Like there's not there's nobody in our church family from the first day till now that's done anything even close to offending me to where I couldn't forgive them. Now I may not like them, but I will, I will forgive them, right? I mean I mean I like something, but I can forgive them, right? I mean in Christ, why not? And so Paul was a blasphemer. He was injurious to the church. So, you know, and and he ends up leading the very church he used to he used to hate. And so certainly Paul counted it all joy to be able to take a beating for Jesus. Uh, Not that he really enjoyed it, but he understood that, you know what, I'm the last person that needs to complain about suffering for Jesus because I have persecuted Jesus Christ so much myself. And uh, I'm always in my own personal life reminded of the slight and the harmful words. Uh, I, I had a, and I've told you this story before, but I'll tell it again. To, I'm over time. But uh, let me tell you this quick story and we'll wrap it up here and we'll stop. But uh, 
when I was a young man, I, I berated a gentleman named, we'll stop at point C and pick it up next week, but I berated this young man named Jesse, uh, or no, Alex Jamies. <laughs> and I was so thankful that um, that's one of those things that happened in B.C. So I was like probably nine or ten years old, and he was sharing this chick track with me in the back of the bus. I was in the back. I like sitting in the back seat when I was a little kid. You know, you bounce more and goof around. You're far away from uh, the bus driver who may be watching me. Uh, Kay Hamlin is was the bus driver, and uh, and so um, I was in the back, and he starts opening up this chick track. It's the one about. Uh, you can have anything. I can't remember. And so, uh, so Chick was writing tracks in the 70s because it was the 70s. And he's sharing this track with me. Uh, or might have been about 1980, probably 1979, 78, somewhere around there. And uh, he's sharing this track with me. And, uh, and man, I just verbally got offended. This is not the only time this happened. When someone shared a track with me, man, I was hateful. And so it made me angry. Because, well, it's pointing out your sin. And I just looked at that and I said, man, you're so stupid. And I just beat him up. And you know what he was doing? He went to church, probably. Well, I know he went to church. I knew his parents. Uh, at least his mom was a Christian. I don't know about his dad. But um, this kid was just doing what he was taught with all sincerity. He was a, You remember Alex Jamie's, Amy? He just was trying to do what he'd been taught. And he got a hold of a sinner dog like me. And I'm not talking, we're talking I, I hadn't robbed any banks or anything, you know, I'm just a kid myself. But at the same time, in my heart, I was lost. And I was just like mean to him to the point that years later, after I got saved, you know what, God had always reminded me. Remember when Alex, because you always have those touch points where God dropped some seeds in your life. And then one of those seeds that God dropped in my life was little Alex Jamie's across the street who was witnessing to me on the bus. And I just remember coldly rejecting it. That's one of the reasons I got saved. Because when God brought the gospel to me in a way that I could understand it, I already had a track record of rejecting it. And you're not you're not promised to get it more than once, right? He could have condemned me just because of Alex Jamie's, in my opinion, and yet he gave me more grace that I didn't deserve. And so uh, that always settled settled in my heart, and I remembered how I treated Alex. So just a couple years ago, I was able I ran into his brother up in uh, well, it was last year up in Indiana his little brother, Jesse Jamie's. And, uh, man, I said, bro, you've got to tell. And he got saved and he's up at, uh, Brad Nelson's church in Lee summit. And he's being, uh, discipled by, uh, Dave Madden. But I said, I told Jesse when I met him randomly, hundreds of miles from our home, uh, up in Indiana. Uh, I said, Hey bro, you've got to tell your brother, Alex, uh, that I am so sorry for the way I treated him when I was a, in a little kid on the bus. And now I don't think that affects, I don't think Jesus was waiting for me to find Alex Jamie's to tell him that necessarily it's all under the blood but I tell you what I just mentioned that because I do and this is such a stupid little story but it's real to me you know and I think about Paul who went around killing people you know and the and these are his relatives I mean these are people he grew up with these are people I mean Jerusalem is Judea and Samaria and in that area is not the hugest area of geography. It's smaller. It's like the metro that we're in right now. I mean, I know people from, uh, you know, uh, northern Missouri to southern Missouri, all the way down to. There's people we know around here, right? Springfield to Lawrence, Kansas to, you know, uh, Bethany to uh, Bentonville or, or Fayetteville. So, and, and so, you know, Paul knew a lot of people, and he'd done a lot of blaspheming, and so. Uh, I'm sure that he was very relieved to receive the grace of God, and he was very happy to be able to go back and give it. And as a matter of fact, that's why when he came to 
to uh, the church in Antioch with Barnabas, who led the way. It wasn't Paul, right? It was Barnabas, because they'd received Barnabas. He was a son of consolation. He was a great guy. Everybody was kind of like, I don't know about that Paul guy. I'm kind of holding back on that fellow because, you know, he killed my aunt or whatever. And so it was the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're saved, man, you need to be able to love a brother or a sister. Uh, or maybe you're not a brother. Because once Paul got saved, he had this capacity to love people that he used to hate. And then secondly, which I think this is more important as we wrap up this tonight with all of us in here, are we obedient to the faith of Christ Jesus? So maybe we struggle to love and fellowship because we have swerved or even run around and become shipwrecked, right? So you can swerve away from the gospel or you can get get shipwrecked. Paul talks about those that are shipwrecked. We'll get to that uh, later, but... You know, you can swerve, you can become shipwrecked and um, and follow the lies of Satan and the false winds of doctrine instead of the love of Christ that resonates from his word. So love is where it's at. Um, but it's not just an ooey-gooey love. Uh, this is a love that, that only comes from God. It's a divine love. And it's, a, it's something that only God can give you. It's not something you possess in your natural man. It's something that God gives you supernaturally through the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let me pause there. Is there anything, comments, questions, considerations, contemplations? Iterations. I'm just coming up with words now. Okay, so, all right, so we're done, and I'm going to do this. Let's uh, pray, and I'll turn, that'll give me the signal to turn all this off and uh, conclude. Thank you for joining us. We have at least one person. I think if maybe it's me. <laughs> so, I don't know. Lila was watching last week, so she said, good sermon. So I was like, oh, that's cool. So uh, if you're out there, Lila, we love you. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We want to pray for those in our church tonight that are ill. Lord, we have many that are ill that were out today. Uh, Lord, we're thankful for all of our family and friends and uh, that, that came today from all over the place uh, to celebrate the 20th uh, anniversary of HBF. Lord, we pray, Lord, tonight as we go to pray in in earnest without the video, without everybody around, with the quietness of this time that we have together as a church family. Lord, we pray, God, that you would get some traction in our hearts, minds, and lives. Lord, we pray, God, that uh, the fervent, effectual prayer of righteous men and women would avail much for the honor and glory of God, that the glorious gospel that we are talking about tonight, Lord, would affect us in a way that is tangible in our feet, Lord, in, our, in, our, uh, in, the, in the way that we make disciples, in the way that we enter interact in the way we prepare people lord help us uh, between now and the next time we meet lord willing if we meet again and you don't catch us up this week in the middle of the week and take us home to heaven uh, next uh, week as we get back together as we consider these things and pick this back up and uh, lord help us to continue to uh, love you and love other people and uh, we just thank you for the grace of God that's been bestowed upon us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We love you and we thank you for, the, for Jesus Christ and Christ Jesus, our Lord. We just uh, ask all this and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.